Hello, Podicumans. Brett Maddox here. Today, we are diving right back into the Faith Once Delivered document that was produced out of the John Wesley Institute. You can check out our show notes for links to the John Wesley Institute and to this document, which is available for free download. Remember that you can connect with us on social media, at Podichesis is where you can find us. You can email us at questions at or you can connect with us through voicemail 404-635-6679. Now, let's start this episode of the Podichesis podcast and continue our discussion on the attributes of God. Hello, Podicumans, and welcome to the Podicesis Podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. I'm Brett Maddox, and once again, we're joined by your very best friends in the entire world. And you know, I believe that, Jim and Alan, that you are everyone's very best friends. Y'all, Jim and Alan, say hey. Hey, guys, and I'm sorry if we are your best friends. (laughs) Uh, I I appreciate the comment, Brett and Zeus. That'll be a slow burn bad joke. Yes, it will. Slow Slow burn burn. bad joke. It'll be a bad joke. It It doesn't pay off in the end. It really doesn't at all. I'm not sure about that. Uh, A true friend wouldn't (laughs) say that. (laughs) We'll see. Well, I said y'all were the best friends, not me. I didn't. Ah, that was convenient. (laughs) Good good wordsmithing. (laughs) Well, you know, I do what I can. Anyhow, um, it is good to be with you all and all you who are listening. And uh, we are continuing our journey through the Faith Once Delivered document, the TFOD, as we like to call it, uh, put out by the John Wesley Institute um, in earlier this year. And uh, we're continuing through this document as we continue to talk about the things of God and why they matter. And today we're um, starting an introductory conversation that will probably last through another episode at least. And we're going to be talking about uh, the Trinity. There are about 10 paragraphs or so in the TFOD dealing with this on an introductory uh, level before we even get into the specifics of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so um, we're just going to take this paragraph by paragraph and kind of see where it goes, and then we'll just continue on in a in some more episodes if we need to. So uh, the Trinity, the Trinity. Now, before we get into the TFOD, I think okay. we did this. What'd I think we, we did this when we talked about the Trinity when, in the um, uh, shorter catechism conversations we did. Um, what is your favorite wrong analogy about the Trinity? Oh, yeah, we <laughs> did do this. We did do this. I think it's <laughs> worth repeating. My fa- my favorite thing about this is that um, St. Patrick's Day animated video. <laughs> no, Patrick. No, Patrick. <laughs> we got a link to that in the show notes. If y'all haven't seen that, um, y'all take a look. Show I am notes. making a note for this on the show yeah, notes. because you, now Brett's got to find it. So. Now, yeah, yeah. now I've got to find <laughs> it. When I'm Thanks, this Jim. <laughs> Where is this? What, what is am this? I looking up? St. Patrick's um, video? <laughs> what's like a three-legged stool? Is that like a thing? Is that a... I mean... I don't know. Um, the the water ice water vapor one. Oh uh, yeah, is yeah. fascinating. I mean, it'll take you somewhere, but it won't take you all the way. Yeah, well, that's the problem. None of these will take you. Uh, most of these will not take you all the way because it's yeah. really really difficult. Yeah, there's the uh, the apple one, you know, where you've got the skin and you got the meat of the apple and the core of the apple, but it's all an apple, you know. Uh, that's bad. Yeah. That's right. That is bad. Or an egg one. I've heard the egg one. You got the shell and you got the other yolk. stuff, and you got the yolk, um, but it's all, uh, but it's all one egg, you know. Um, all of these tend to 
move into some sort of actually heresy. Um, you know, whatever. Ooh. Yeah, we need we need a sound effect for heresy. Heresy. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Um, for various reasons. Um, but uh, bec- you know, either they highlight the unity of God, but don't talk really a lot about the diversity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or they highlight the diversity of the Godhead and don't really talk too much about the unity of, of the Godhead. And so for a proper understanding of Trinitarian thought is you have to kind of hold both those in balance of the unity within the Godhead and the diversity of the the, the personas, if you will, the persons within the Godhead. The, be- the best one that I think we we probably talked about this. The best one that I've seen is uh, from the Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith. Yeah, Bill yeah. Allen with the with the music chord. Yes, the harmony. The chord yeah. is made yeah, up chord, of three chord, notes, yeah. but the yeah. chord is one chord. Right. Um, each note is not the other, but um, that one falls down a little bit too. But it is better than the others. So we'll I'll link I'll link to that uh, resource as well. Um, that's the one I was thinking about as uh, just a little bit ago. I, I remember preaching as a good one. I remember preaching on the Trinity, and um, I had my pianist do that for me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, yeah. it's too, and it, it's it you know, it's oh, they're all analogies. So no analogy is perfect. So um, it's going to break down at some point. But. Right. But I I did have so I've been doing a couple of Q and A sessions at Wednesday night for our Wednesday night suppers here at the church, and um, I did have someone ask the question: um, Is there a hierarchy in the Trinity? And to be able to say to them, no. And I, I appreciated the question because even if, as Trinitarians, even at, even if we say, you know, you know, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal, the um, equal in majesty and power and and, and all that, um, we we in our actions don't always live that out. Um, well, and, so, and it also you have you have fam, family language where it just seems right. like the father is father son yeah sure that's true. yeah that's true and then you also you also have the um, uh, thing that I just forgot about uh, oh yeah uh, people will say God Son and Holy Spirit or God Jesus Holy Spirit yeah um, conflating yeah. the Father with God but but God is God which All includes it, Father yeah. Son and Holy Spirit yeah yeah. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Jim a free pass if he wants to take it here with this next question I'm about to ask. But I do oh, I know, know what it is because <laughs> he may want you may want to talk about it a little bit later. But um, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit language is important language. Like the words are important, and, um, and so what are your thoughts of some people for various reasons using language like Creator, Sustainer, Redeemer to talk about the Trinity? Y'all are waiting on me, aren't you? Yeah, he, I want you to be well, it towards you. Jim, I brought, so, I brought yeah. it towards you because you're the. All right, so yeah. <laughs> let's, let's let's talk about that. So so I'll preface it by saying there's a great quote I heard and I can't remember, uh, and the quote is when I say the word God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. Yeah. Uh, so like that's that's implicit in there. So there, and I completely understand, and I don't want to uh, remove the importance of the conversation people are having about the masculine language that is inherent in our trinitarian language father son holy spirit <clears throat> that's something to that's something that um, touches on a lot of things in people's lives and experience and it's worth having a conversation um, 
However, there this is one of those places where we recognize that God is not gendered and that there are words that that have been throughout Scripture and history, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to describe the persons of the Trinity. Well, in order to avoid the masculine language or even the hierarchical language, um, people will say creator, sustainer, redeemer, or creator, redeemer, sustainer, um, to try to, you know, move away from that language, creator being the father, redeemer being the son, sustainer being the spirit. There are two problems with that that make it actually um, theologically quite inappropriate to use as a stand-in for the Trinity. It's not inappropriate to talk about God as creator, redeemer, sustainer, right. um, but to use it as a as a stand-in for the Trinity, it does two things. Mm-hmm. One, it removes the personhood of the persons of the Trinity. And it makes them in, it reduces the persons of the Trinity into activities of those persons. Okay. So the father does create, but the father does not only create. Mm. Jesus, the son, the son does redeem, but the son does not only redeem the spirit does sustain, but the spirit does not only sustain. Mm -hmm. Um, to reduce the persons of the Trinity to one of their many actions is reductionist and removes the personhood of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. The other is that it turns into what we call modalism, Mm -hmm. which means that um, the uh, one person of the Trinity is only present when one function is happening. After that person of the Trinity finishes, then the other comes in. Mm -hmm. So you, you hear that a lot and like, well, it was God the Father in the Old Testament. It was God the Son in the Gospels, and then God the uh, Sustainer, the Holy Spirit, from Acts forward. Um, and, and you can see how people would get there. But mm-hmm. God is one, um, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always present. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, there's activities, there's moments, there's times when, when one is subservient to the other willingly. Steve Siemens mm-hmm. talks about that. Um, so uh, I get the impulse and impetus behind it. And so here's what I, here's the gentle, loving challenge that I bring forward to people is, um, I don't want to diminish the fact that there's, that people have pastoral issues and, and ethical issues regarding gender things, especially if there's been maybe bad father figures or, or not everybody's a son. I get all of that. Um, we, you have to do more work. You have to do more theological work. Um, either um, to come up with a better way to say that that follows through with the faith that has been handed down. But more than likely what we have to do, and here's a little uh, rabbit trail that I've been on a lot lately, that there is a difference between scriptural theology, ethics, and missiology. Mm. Mm. Okay? Mm. They're all related, but they need to be distinct. Um that sustainer, creator, redeemer, sustainer conversation is likely sitting in the ethics and missiology segments of our big, how do we live out our faith segment. Mm-hmm. You can't go backwards to change theology and scripture. What you do is you take theology and scripture and say, how do I rearticulate the ethic and rearticulate how I reach people with that ethic and that theology? How do I rearticulate that in a way mm. that is, you know, meeting the people group or the the time in which I'm trying to live? 
So there's my little spiel. It was much more gentle than I thought it would be. Uh, it's a little pet <laughs> peeve of mine. And I get a lot of pushback on it from from folks who are really, really concerned about gendered language. And I'm, I mean, I care about gender appropriate language, too. That's why in the, the scriptures, um, there's words just like in Spanish, words have gender, but they don't necessarily mean male and female. Right. They're just that's the way they're written. Well, in, in um, the scriptures, Greek is the same way. It doesn't always mean uh, it might be a masculine word for people, but it right. doesn't always mean men. Right. Um, and it's appropriate to translate it as people. However, it gets inappropriate when you start to dilute or erase the direct meaning of the text. Same thing in my mind with this conversation. Now that I have either given people fodder to send me emails. Questions or, at potakesis.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or brett at potakesis.com. Um, <laughs> that's, that's my answer. Yeah. No, and the reason I asked you is because we've talked about this before, and I know Jim just is a lot more articulate on this. Um, this Jim speaks well. He 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 speaks good. I talk good. He, he speak speaks good. good. He what speaks I good. Is I may talk good sometimes, but I talk a lot. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> I well, I'm just going to move on from that. Yeah, so just move on from that. Yeah, let's just move on from that. But anyway, but that is a, a good piece to this, and I do think it's appropriate that as we start talking about this language of the Trinity, that we we set this up with the language of God is Spirit. Um, that we set it up with the holiness of God, the, the attributes of God that came um, in our discussions before this. Um, so, of course, of course we know that God is not a dude in the sky. We know that. But this language is so very important in, um, in, in revealing to us the complexity, but also the simplicity, if you want. I mean, it's just all this uh, beautiful language that goes with this. And I will say wow. this. I would just add to this, as one who ha comes from a broken family, who has had relational issues with moms and dad, my, mom, my mother and my, my father, um, that uh, and stepfathers and all those fatherly figures, um, it's actually the fatherhood of God, that, that kind of that language that was very redemptive to me. Um, in many ways. And so instead of running from it, I kind of went into it and found some great healing and really just found the love of God and love for me uh, there. Right. One one more point. That's beautiful. And I think that that's, that's worth saying, hey, look, sometimes you need to lean into the goodness of these things, even when we don't understand it to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, there are other concerns, too, when you have uh, conversations uh, about the representation of women and things like that, and and one of the one of the right. things to recognize right. is um, is the deep inclusivity of the Christian faith with with women and men all together, yeah. um, and that this it's it, it putting it all together, you have a beautiful picture. The other reason that it that it's that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit language comes is if you take it out to do Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, you remove the familial. Mm -hmm. relational yeah. ties mm -hmm. uh, like spirit is deeply related to person father son are familiarly related yeah. uh to one another and that is actually um uh, important attributes of our trinitarian conversation yeah yeah well good stuff good stuff i am i i think i am single-handedly responsible for every episode being over 20 minutes <laughs> well i'm glad i mean these to be over 20 minutes well so, as I mean, have as at the, it. 
as the one who puts the uh, the outline and stuff together, I will say there's a reason I do that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> go for uh, it, Jen. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the TFOD and uh, look at what this stuff this says, and uh, we'll start with that uh, first paragraph on the Trinity, paragraph number twenty six. All right, so paragraph number twenty six: the mystery of God, uh, quote, cannot be apprehended by human reason, end quote, as Gregory of Nazianzus said. Let's just Good stop. Job, let's just let's just let's just stop and reflect and pause and. <laughs> I did that pretty well. You did, okay. yes. You done good. We man. are not going to repeat it. No, but we got through it. The important <laughs> thing is the mystery of God cannot be apprehended by uh, um, apprehended by human reason, right? Which we demonstrated early on by those analogies, right? Um, goes on to say we can only know God as God reveals His nature and purposes, uh, which we can know by faith. The church's doctrine of the Trinity was formulated by taking seriously the self-revelation of God. The doctrine was described at the ecumenical councils of Nicaea and Constantinople, held in 325 and 381, and the Trinity is plainly reflected in the lasting statement of those councils, the universal creed of the church, the Nicene Creed. This is not to say that the councils created this doctrine but rather that the councils affirmed what had been taught from the beginning by Christ and his apostles. Hmm. It's a really interesting way of, of beginning to talk about the Trinity um, and, uh, and taking seriously the self-revelation of God. So this yeah. is like kind of going back to what Jim was talking about. Like, re- trying to come up with different language is, I think, in a way, not taking seriously the self-revelation of God. Um, this is how God chose to reveal himself. Um, and so we're just simply using the language that he, and he did it on purpose for a reason, for a purpose. Um, and then, then, then to go into the councils and to understand, Hey, the councils didn't create this doctrine. They, they, the councils met to figure out how to put it all together, how to, how to word it, how to, how right. to word it, how to communicate it. And we, we come up with the Nicene creed. And, and then of course, later we have some other creeds as well, but, um, yeah, good stuff. Good way to begin. It's yeah, it's just really expertly written. So we have to give our sisters and brothers in Christ on the TFOD committee just great props. I think this brings uh, a good discussion together with what I was mentioning earlier. Um, is there's there's a dis, there's not a distinction, but there's a relationship between what the Bible says and our theology that comes from what the Bible says, right? So. So, uh, have you ever had the conversation where you're like, show me the Trinity in the Bible? Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that when we talk about being scriptural Christians, which we are, it is, I mean, there, it, the scripture is the word of God. It is uh, the one of the chief ways that God has revealed himself in lasting way to us. It comes alive to the Holy Spirit. God's self-revelation has come and recorded in Holy Scripture in many, many ways. Um, so one of the things that they say is, well, I don't see the Trinity in the Bible. And then we can point to, you see, well, there's spirit here and even all the way back in Genesis one and John one kind of brings it together. And, um, a lot of this, and it does. Um, but one of the things we say is, look, so now that we have taken in the whole of scripture, right, we've taken in the whole of scripture. We, we see in these councils in the three hundreds, we see these truths of God emerging that are all connected, that describe 
precisely what we see in the scripture, mm -hmm. and that is the doctrine that God is Trinity. Mm -hmm. It's not developed after. Mm -hmm. It is articulated after. And that's a, diff that's a difference. Um, really mm -hmm. quickly, I want to bring up the translation of First uh, John 5, 7. Can I do yeah. that? Yeah, go ahead. And then I'm going to, once you, after you do that, I'm going to uh, actually read the creed. Yes, please do. Um, so 1 John 5, 7 in the King James Version said, uh, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. In subsequent modern translations, um, you'll see something different. Let me pull up one example right here. Uh, it will say, uh, for there are three that testify, and mm -hmm. then ESV just stops there and puts the rest in a footnote. Mm -hmm. um, well, no, it says in verse 8, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Mm -hmm. And so it had, after subsequent translations, people will say, well, the Trinity, they, they took the Trinity out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. This is, this is more accurately representing what was in, in the text. Mm -hmm. um, there are new new uh, discoveries of older texts that came out. Um, but the scripture, the Trinity is in the scripture. The Trinity, it, the scripture is saturated in Trinity. Mm -hmm. And so those are just important things to think of. Not, not everything you're going to see, uh, think, you can find the verse that says it. But when right. you take in the whole of scripture, you're going right. to see it everywhere. That's what right. the beauty of classic doctrine is. Hey, everyone, we will return to the show in just a moment, but we just wanted to take this time and tell you about some of our favorite people. As you know, the Podakesis Podcast is a proud member of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. Spirit and Truth is a movement of Wesleyan-minded Christians seeking to awaken and equip the 21st century church through the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We long to see a new movement of Christians who are empowered by the Spirit, rooted in truth, and mobilized for the mission. For more information and resources, you can visit www.spiritandtruth.life. We also want to let you know about the Spirit and Truth Conference, March 9th through the 11th in Dayton, Ohio. Last year, uh, the Podakesis podcast crew went to this conference for the very first time, and honestly, it was life-changing. It was so impactful. And so we want to invite you to join us at this conference in Dayton, Ohio, March 9th through the 11th. You can register now. Registrations are open. Early registration is open at spiritandtruth.life, and you can follow the link there. You can also put the word podcast, podcast, in the discount code box and get a little bit of a discount on your registration. So uh, we hope to see you in Dayton, Ohio, March 9th through the 11th of 2023, as we all come together in worship, seeking God's Spirit, and, being, uh, and, and just fellowshipping with each other as we grow closer to Jesus. And now, uh, that's all I have, so we're going to get back to our conversation about the attributes of God. Well, and I will say say this to add before I get into the creed itself is um, I did a sermon uh, two uh, last week on uh, John on Luke fifteen the you know the lost the lost sheep the lost coin and the prodigal son and I focused on the prodigal son story but um, I highlighted the lost uh, sheep and the lost lost coin as part of that as well 
And afterwards, I had this guy, this church member, come up to me. I had never thought of this, but I thought it was very beautiful, and it goes right along with what you're saying, that once you start seeing the language, you start seeing the Trinity everywhere. Right. right. It's like when you buy a car and then you start seeing that car everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yes. So um, he was saying that he, he said, have you ever thought that about the Trinity in Luke 15? I said, no, not really. He said, look, the lost sheep, it's the great shepherd, right? It's Jesus. It's the son. Um, in the lost coin, what does the woman do? She lights a lamp, right? And lamp mm. is a oil lamp. That was an image of the Holy Spirit. Uh, throughout the um, uh, Old Testament and other places, and he said, and he said, of course, then you've got the father figure in uh, Luke fifteen, in the prodigal son story, and um, I was just blown away by that. Uh, that in, that just he saw the Trinity in that in which you know I've read Luke fifteen a hundred times and you know preached on it, taught on it, never saw that, and just again when you start seeing it, you start seeing it everywhere. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's do the creed a little bit. So um, I'm going to do uh, two versions. I'm going to give the 325 version, and then I'll give the completed 381 version. Uh, 325, Council of Nicaea, um, we get this creed that comes out. We believe in uh, one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God from very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, mm. by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and women and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and on the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead." And in the Holy Ghost. And that's where the 325 version kind of stops. There is a statement of anathema, if you want to call that, at the end where it says, but for those who say there was a time when he was not, and and he was not before, and he uh, and uh, before he was made, and he was made out of nothing, or he was of another substance or essence, or the Son of God is created or changeable or alterable, they are condemned by the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. That was, <laughs> that was kind of the... Uh, and that was because the Nicene Creed originally in 325 was written as a... Uh, as a creedal stance, if you will, on the nature of Jesus, right? Like, that's that's uh, who Jesus was. Um, so, and then in 381, there were some additions added to this at the Council of Constantinople. Uh, pretty much everything is the same, uh, except there are some additions, so I'll just read it. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, his only be the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before um, all, all worlds, light of light, very God from very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial uh, to the, with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men uh, and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy uh, Spirit and of the Virgin Mary and was made man, was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried and the third day rose again according to the scriptures, ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father. And thence he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, and I'm going to come back to that in a second, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And in one 
Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Um, and so, uh, and uh, I, I will give a shout out. Wikipedia's article on the Nicene Creed does a really good job of listing out for us, um, listing out for us these differences, the Greek text and the Latin text, and all, and especially a clause in here. Some of you might have, may have caught um, there. There, there was a little controversy, <laughs> just a, a wee wee controversy in 1051, uh, where uh, the Roman Church. Um, for various reasons. Uh, they added, um, when they got to the Holy Spirit, um, they added who proceedeth from the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. They added, it's called the filioque clause, that's the and of the Son. Um, and so that was a powder keg moment, I guess, of tension had already been building up between the Orthodox Eastern Church and the Western Roman Church. Tension had already been building up, but this this was kind of the keg that split it apart in the Great Schism of 1051. And so, um, and by the way, every I remember that schism, schism of 1051. (laughs) But it is interesting. That schism was so deep that that those those two churches still do not have communion together today. Like, they do not... Like Protestants and Catholics have had made inroads inroads with each other since uh, fifteen seventeen. Uh, Catholic Roman Catholics and uh, Eastern Orthodox, they that is still a ma- like. And if you want to see that, go to go to Israel and go to some of the holy sites like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or Bethlehem, and you will see just utter enmity between two uh, groups that date back more than a thousand years or about a thousand years. So. Um. Uh. So. So that's that. It's interesting how one little phrase could really just spark, spark that um, that division mm-hmm. within the church. Um. But anyway, that's the Nicene Creed for you, the Universal Creed of the Church. Yeah. Fantastic. Um. There's one more. There's one more. Uh. Little. Uh. Fun thing there. It's. Have you ever heard the phrase one iota? Yeah. All right. So this this is something that I picked up in one of my uh, theology classes. That one iota, uh, iota is the Greek letter I, mm-hmm. and um, there is conversation that there was uh, controversy back in the day. That term consubstantial it means Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. Right. That word is homoousios. Yes. All right. There's no io. There's you know the iota is not in there. Then there's uh, some scribal errors that said home oi usios which in iota an extra i and that means um instead of the same substance it would mean of like substance right and so that was a whole thing so it doesn't matter one iota well that iota matters quite a lot back in the day so there's your little look of apocryphal lesson for the day that's awesome that's awesome i knew there was something between the two and i couldn't remember from my history but that's it right there that was Sorry, it. listeners, we're diving that deep in here. No, that's deep good. dive. And that's just the first paragraph, by the way. I mean, right? Um, that cannot be apprehended by human reason. Um, yeah. So, um, all right, let's try another paragraph there, Alan. Let's, let's, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Uh, paragraph 27. To call God Trinity is to confess, confess that God is both truly one and truly three. 
This distinguishes Christianity from all other faiths. Unlike Judaism and Islam, the triune God does not exist in solitude, but in the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unlike polytheistic religions in which each deity has a separate will and power, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist together in perfect unity. Man, that paragraph is packed. Oh, my I mean, goodness gracious. like, <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> truly dude. one and truly three. So the that's what, and you know, the discussion we had at the very beginning with the kind of analogies thing, this is where you've got to be careful. You can't just settle on the unity of God and not deal with the this, the distinctive parts. The threeness. Or the, this, this, the threeness, if you will. And you can't just settle on the threeness. See, I even got into it when I said distinctive parts. That's even bad. But, um, but yeah, unity and diversity has got to be balanced in that, in our understanding. All right, so let's do this, he, because the TFOD brought it up. Um, do Judaism, Islam, and Christianity worship the same God? Oi, there we go. I mean, the t- I blame the TFOD here. Thank you, Ryan Danker, for pulling this group together and doing this hard work and then giving us the this chance to talk through this stuff. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll set the stage and say, uh, from my, my reading, my understanding of classic Christian doctrine and all, is no, they don't, because—and I'm, I'm stealing a line basically from Ken Collins, um, who said that our Trinitarian faith is what— um, sets us apart. Now, you have Judaism, right? That is really kind of, that's a Judeo-Christian thought, but Islam is way different. Islam is different because Islam doesn't have anything to do with the Trinitarian thing. They think we're polytheist in many ways. So uh, I would say that the conversation between Judaism and Christianity is a little bit more nuanced, but in my opinion, uh, Islam is not the same, not in the same realm. Even if they do, even if we do share "quote unquote" Father Abraham, it's not in the same realm. And this is just this is just just uh, devil's advocate. Is it is it okay to say that we specifically with Judaism and Christianity is it is it is it appropriate to say that we worship the same God, but we have a different understanding of that God? Yeah, my understanding would be to say we have kind of a completed understanding, if you will. That not it might not even be correct. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which of these that I read. I believe that I was looking at it was maybe Irenaeus or uh Hippolytus of Rome. I need to remember and get this guy because there's beautiful discourse there. Um so the Juda the Judaism can make the natural connection to Christianity and Trinitarianism. Mm-hmm. And they were doing that back in the earliest days for missional reasons. Um logically, scripturally, theologically to make the connection. Um, they're doing so the same with polytheism, um, and there there's things that are other. I was reading in um, John Wesley's sermon, The Scripture Way of Salvation, a while back, uh, and some, I think I was reading some other works of his, too. And he, said, and, and he makes note, like, look, there there is truth in existing around nearly everything, but then the truth revealed of God is is a 
is a thing of its own. You can see that in some of the Psalms that talk about how, you know, God speaks through the beauty of nature, but the law of the Lord. Right, right, um, right. You know, there's this, right. this, there's those kind of connections and distinctions. So let's let's say that, in my opinion, at this point on this day, uh, <laughs> we could say that the cry for divinity and the reach upward is common to all humanity and maybe reaching yes. towards the same thing. Now, when you get down into the deep theological truth claims of individual um, religious texts and theologies, you can start to divert uh, into different things, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you might say we all are reaching to the same divinity, and the same divinity is calling to us, but that the way we're articulating, practicing, and reaching back are not in the same necessarily the same direction or in the same harmony or something of that nature. Isn't that the practical kind of definition, if you will, of provenient grace is this idea yeah. that God has broken through to all of humanity, and so we're reaching to him, reaching out to him, calling out to him. Now, we still have you know the veil of sin over us. Provenient grace doesn't remove that. So we still can make gods in our own image or follow false idols or ways of belief. We still have to come to the narrow road, if you will, of revelation of Jesus Christ. But the prevenient grace is the universal understand the universal understanding, I guess, or the the universality of God's grace on all humanity. Right. Right. And you have you have a sense that God does reveal God's self in in plenty of things, that's what the concept of natural theology comes about. It's not right. a complete revelation. Right, it's not complete. Um, but, that's correct. Yeah. But if you think all the way back into Scripture, um, you have Philip and the Ethiopian official. Right. You yeah. have Paul in Rome. Uh, one of the chief ways to point—you don't deny the religious practice of, of other people, but what you find is that common grace— and draw them towards and invite them towards Christ. And it just depends how seriously you take the reality that Jesus Christ is God made flesh and that he says something like, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the right. life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, I was kind of, uh, you, you ran into my thinking. I was thinking, you know, if we, if we truly, if we truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, the way, truth, and life, then, then ultimately we have to believe that the whole revelation of God in, as the Trinity um, is fundamentally different than mm -hmm. um, Judaism and Islam. I, I've heard it. I've heard it described a couple of different ways. Um, you know, some people will say, "Hey, we're on the same mountain. We're just trying to get up. We're trying to get up to the top of the mountain. We're all on different paths." You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. God's the top. You know, and right, and mm -hmm. so we're on different paths. And the argument I think has been made. Well, it's more like we're on different mountains. Like yeah. we're we're headed to different peaks yeah. um all this i remember um also i was in uganda and i had a conversation with a muslim man um i was i was i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> i mean i was i was out with some other um, african pastors they were with me and there was a lot of translation going on and i you know um so if i had it to do over again this is what i would do he he talked to me and he he um 
he was a Muslim man. He had multiple wives and talking about, and it, he, he was making the case that, Hey, we're all in the swimming in the same pond. We're just different fit. You know, we're all different fish swimming in the same pond, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, um, and I, I think I would have told him, Hey, I think we're in different ponds. I think we're in completely different, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, so I, I do, you know, if, 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 if our salvation hinges on, on Christ, and, 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 and his work on the cross and the resurrection, then I think we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to say that the, the, the God's revelation of, of, of himself and as the Trinity is fundamentally different. Um, so, yeah. so if, if any of y'all are really wanting to do a deep dive academically on this, there is a, um, there was a guy named John Hick who did uh, kind of a, he was more of this pluralistic, uh, model of of one mountain, different paths up the mm-hmm. same mountain. That was kind of his his way of doing it, and I forget the name of his book. Um, and and but then 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 his student, a guy named Mark Heim, uh, wrote a book called Salvations, plural, and it was that different mountains, singular paths up different mountains. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Heim did a follow-up to that book, Salvations, in which... So his, Heim's argument was that each of those mountains were valid expressions of faith, is what he was saying. Um, and it's very his argument is he's not coming from a particularly Christian point of view. It's more philosophical, uh, philosophy of religion. John Hick was the same way, more philosophical philosophy, philosophy of religion, dealing with words like validity and warrant and all that kind of stuff, which is very philosophical terms. Heim, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he did a follow-up to his book on salvations in which he <laughs> said that Christianity was the most valid. <laughs> I think, if I'm not mistaken, he said it was the more most valid. And so um, I take, I kind of take issues with both those arguments, uh, with Heim's first book and with Hick's book. But the thing with Heim that I really did like was that he he did separate it out, you know, um, get get beyond the whole validity argument. He did separate it out because what Heim does is he takes seriously the different theological viewpoints of each religious um, worldview, um, and that is an important thing. Where that was Hicks' uh, weakness was that he kind of muddled it together to where he's, he basically was saying um, in a big academic uh, treatise here that um, each we don't the differences don't really need to matter they don't need to matter because we're all on the same mountain anyway you know so he's he's that coexist guy whereas Heim really does say that well no these 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 religious worldviews they do they do matter and then later on I think he puts a little bit more validity into the Christian, his Christian and Christian understanding, because I do think he's he was a he is a believer. But that being said, so for us, you know, there may be different mountains or whatever, different paths, different mountains. But for Christians, for Orthodox Christians who follow this, we believe that there's really only one path that will lead us towards salvation and redemption and being coming the people we were created to be. And I know that can sound very exclusivist. You know, well, you know, you're just leaving out so many worldviews or whatever. No, that's it, it's not ex, it, it's in, it's inclusive for the entire world. For God so loved the world that grace is available, that redemption is available for all, um, everybody, no matter 
where you, but there is one path and that is the path of Jesus. And that is because that is how God most ultimately has revealed himself. That is right. It's not, that, it's not simply right. because it's the one path that works for us. Right, it's right. It's, because Jesus is the revelation of God. That's right, yes. Um, so, so yeah, part of this conversation comes up because people don't know how to behave. Boom. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, people don't know how to behave. So, you know, we insult people with different religious beliefs. We, sure. We don't respect the cultures and the place where people start. And that's what I talked about earlier is a missiology situation. It's part of what we're dealing with in uh, conversations like in the United Methodist Church is the confusion between theology and missiology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the the answer there is not necessarily to change the theology or to mm-hmm. quote water it down, but to change, to rearticulate our ethics and the way we want to reach people. Let me ask you a yeah. question. Yeah. If you're a sick person and I say tissue, what do you think? That you got a cold? Yeah. If I'm a biologist or a doctor and I say tissue, what am I saying? Body. I'm probably talking about skin, skin or, or organs or body something tissue, like, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, when we say God, we across the world we don't all mean the same thing, right? Right. And right. what the what the what God reveals through God's revelation and what we understand as Trinity is God making specific what God means when we say God, right? Right. I've heard that same thing uh, with God, uh, like um, Arabic Christians, um, their word for God uh, is Allah, because mm-hmm. Allah in Arabic means God. Like it is, it, it can be very generic or it can be very specific, just like that whole thing. If I told you I believed in God, well, knowing I'm a Christian minister, you would probably assume I'm talking somewhere in the realm of Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit and God, all that, all that. But that's because my context is telling you that's mm-hmm. what... I'm leaning towards, whereas if I'm in Saudi Arabia and I'm talking about God, you might be thinking, well, he must be, you know, I say Allah, he may be Muslim, but Christians in Saudi Arabia or in the Arabian Peninsula, they'll use Allah as well. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, that they'll, some, most of the time, they'll they'll tie um, the name of Jesus in with as well uh, mm. to kind of, to, to even tie that down, even uh, to, to make that distinction a little bit clearer. So, but you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, you, you kind of where we come from, our context, what we're brought up in. I mean, God is very can be very generic or very specific. <laughs> so, yeah, and, yeah. and that's the if you look at Genesis one and you pay attention in the Old Testament, you'll see the word God spelled out with a capital G, lowercase O D, like normal. Yeah. But occasionally, you'll see in English it'll say the word Lord, Lord. but mm. L O R D is all in weird capital letters. Yeah. yeah. What is that? And that's part, because even in the big first few chapters of Genesis, or first many chapters, you're moving from this generic understanding of God, like as an Elohim is the word. It's just the ancient Near East word that means the divine being, into the specific name of God revealed to in Scripture as Yahweh, mm-hmm. um, I am that I am. And that when you see the capital word Lord, it's just a more specific way. So yeah. from the beginning, God has been taking this and revealing himself more specifically to his people. Right. Anyway, so it's it's a language thing. That's good. That's good. 
Well, we're going to have to continue this conversation in um, another part, in, a, in another episode, because we are coming to our time. And at this uh, rate, um, we're going to be on the introductory discussion of the Trinity for about two and a half years. So, um, <laughs> uh, it's been 84 years. <laughs> but uh, we will continue this discussion and continue these paragraphs in the TFOD in, um, in part two and maybe even part three of this, this introductory remarks on the Trinity. Um, Podakesis uh, community, we're so glad that y'all are with us. Remember to uh, check us out on uh, Facebook and on Twitter, if Twitter still even exists at that time. Oh, <laughs> oh my that. goodness gracious. <laughs> and uh, and Instagram. Yeah, why? It is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Thank you, Drew McIntyre, for that tweet. That was awesome. But anyway, thank y'all for joining us, and we look forward to uh, talking to y'all later. Y'all have a good one, and God bless. As we end this episode, we will have all the links mentioned in the episode, particularly those links pertaining to the John Wesley Institute and the document, The Faith Once Delivered, available uh, in our show notes. That uh, document, The Faith Once Delivered, is available for free download. So just click on that link and go download it, and you will have that resource. It's fantastic. Uh, be sure to hit us up on social media. At Podakesis is where you can find us. You can find us on our website, podakesis.podbean.com and you can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. So share us with your friends and tell them just to find us wherever. You can leave us a voicemail uh, 404-635-6679 or leave us an email questions at podakesis.com and as always leave us a five star rating and review on Apple iTunes which helps us out there. We greatly appreciate it and we greatly appreciate you. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one, and God bless.